Welcome back to another week of the Base Training Podcast. As usual, I'm here with Mr. Will Strafty and Stefan Winder. Um, I myself am here, Mr. Lee Carter. Um, we're not going to go through Instagram and stuff, because if you've been listening to the, us for a while, you should by now have gone and followed us. Um, so you should know who we are and what we're about. And if you haven't, go back and listen to those episodes. There's plenty on there, plenty of content, and plenty of tips and advice to help you get Fit, get fit, get healthy, and stay it. And this week we're going to be talking about skiing and how to prepare for it. You know the uh, the uh, half term break is coming up, and a lot of people do tend to go skiing in and around that time. And it's the winter, so it kind of pushes people toward mid, more winter sports. What have you guys ever been skiing? Actually, I have indeed. What about I'm you, Will? Absolutely love it. It's, uh, haven't been as much as I like, but yeah, been five times. Uh, really, really enjoy it. Something that I'd like to do more often, but uh, unfortunately can't afford to. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> what about you, Will? The closest I've ever been to skiing is either using the Concept 2 ski erg, which according to people that have actually skied in real life is not anything like skiing, or an hour of indoor snowboarding. I can't decide which one is actually closer to real life skiing. So uh, the answer is no. I went on a dry slope. I think when I was about, when was it? It must have been. I must have been at twelve. I think it was like a school trip or something in Swanley, and uh, we turned up really late because the track. I remember turned up really late, and we got like ten minutes on the slope, and I was the last to go up. And I got like one go down it, and that was it. <laughs> that, was, that was my exposure to actually skiing. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to go, I think, um, at some point. Just getting around to it, isn't it? Just one of them trips yeah. that you've got, you got to get skis, and you need, to, you need warm clothing. You've got to, you need a good drinking arm, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so what, what have your guys' just experiences of skiing like? Whether that's with clients or whether it's personally, what have you, what sort of things have you done? So for me, um, I learned to ski when I was eight. Uh, I learned to ski in Oslo. Um, trained, I learned, well, I was taught by the Marines, which was really, really cool. Um, learned quite a lot, and I really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, at that age, you're fearless. You don't really have any reservations about chucking yourself down a mountain at great speeds. So. <laughs> Um, really, really enjoyed it. Got got a bit of a bug for it, and then I was very fortunate enough to go four times when I was in high school. Uh, as our, my school was a sports college, we were quite heavily subsidised uh, for sports excursions. So um, I was very fortunate enough to to go on four ski trips there. Um, but yeah, so and also actually, um, quite a few of my clients are avid skiers. They they go with their families and they go with their friends. Like some go on multiple trips per year. Uh, one of my clients actually, she goes to Whistler Mountain every single year without fail in January with her partner. So that's really cool for her. So it's um it's really really fun actually. Uh, helping people understand the demands of skiing and helping them prepare for that specific event because for some people just training for general health and fitness, it's quite hard to get everything all the time but when you're training for one specific thing it makes it makes it a little bit more fun and it gives that person a clear target to work towards as well because you've got a clear metric of what you're trying to achieve so that's that's been quite fun recently for me yeah. what about you guys 
I've been pretty similar. I've got a couple of clients that have used skiing holidays as a bit of a, I suppose, point to work towards and given a bit of direction because they've come to, come to me with, without really an idea of what they're looking for out of fitness and health. Um, like, okay, what's what do you like to do? So I like to ski. Cool. Well, when are you next going skiing? Um, next year, okay, well, let's work towards that and get you fit and healthy for that so you can enjoy it. And again, it, it's essentially getting them fit and healthy, but just with a slight bit of specification in there. Um, mm. And like you said, it just gives them a bit of direction and they're quite helpful. Um, and it builds into the long-term goal as well because it kind of supports that um, idea of actually utilising your fitness outdoors and because you can because you've got a body that is able to move, so you might as well use it. What about you, Will? Um, so my, this experience I've had of skiing with, uh, I'd say client and just people that I know, is just injuries and getting broken. So I remember when I was in uh, primary school, there was this one kid who would go, he'd go every year, and every time without fail, he would come back with either a broken leg or a broken arm. And once he came back with both. <laughs> um, and I had a client go skiing and they came back with um, like severe pain where they fell and it kind of hampered them from training the next couple of months. Um, so I think unless you're obviously very good and very careful, um, like injuries are a big part of it. But I think even as a very good skier, like there's always going to be a risk associated with flying down a hill at high speed with lots of other people around. I think it might be then good to talk a little bit about why exercise then is important. Um, injury prevention is the biggest one there. Like I've, I've had a couple of clients in the past, not got many more, that have come back with like complete knee ruptures, as in like I think it's the ACL and MCL, isn't it? Is the is the classic mm. um, or P, ACL and PCL and the classic skiers injury. Um, and tears in there and they come back with like bilateral <laughs> knee ligament ruptures because they've fallen on ice or whatever it is and stumbled um, and so injury prevention is a massive uh, part of, of what, why you should really think about your health before going skiing because um, there is a risk like if you're if you're someone that relies on your body for work then getting an ACL injury and having to have six weeks off after after the surgery and then the months of rehab and the money time and money that's going to cost you and then potential uh, risk of never being able to maybe ski again if you don't rehab properly or if the injuries are that bad um, so what sort of stuff then should um, or why why do we think it's there's such a high risk of injury in skiing specifically um, I think it's just because it is such a complex movement. Um, we're, we're not only dealing with the change, multiple change of direction and uh, the manipulation of body position, but we're dealing with multiple different forces at the same time, different directions of those forces. Um, so my legs might be facing a, dis, a different direction to my hips, so I might be working in the transverse plane, but then I'm also still moving downwards at a gradient. And, and that combination is normally... A, uh, a pretty big recipe for disaster for a lot of people, especially if you're, you haven't got a big movement literacy, if you haven't done much work in the gym and you haven't exposed yourself to these different planes of movement, it can become quite a tough ask for some people. And people tend to get quite sore and 
uh, have a lot of discomfort in their first couple of days of skiing because they haven't exposed themselves to these movements before and they're just hurtling themselves down the hills and they're and they don't know necessarily how to stop or they're too sore and they can't control their muscles or their body's working independently. They just have no idea what their body's doing. Uh, they don't have that coordination or that proprioceptive awareness of what their body's actually doing. Um, and that normally is where we end up in a crash or a catastrophe of some description. So um, I think that the biggest cause is probably the underestimation of coordination and complexity of the movement people just see it and they're like oh that looks easy that looks like fun or they've like rollerbladed before or something they're like oh yeah it's pretty similar to that or they've ice skated like oh it's not so different but it's it's very very different uh, especially when you're dealing with those high speeds and that gradient as well it's one of those sports that at a recreational level not an elite level is extremely accessible like we say off offline or saying offline that you can go to a ski resort on holiday, go to the chalet, I, I don't know what you do, but go to the wherever, rent a pair of skis, and then just go. You, you wouldn't ever have had to ski, and you can go up onto these big routes. Like the, is it the Black Diamonds, the toughest one? Is that what it is? Yeah you, can, yeah. you can go there without essentially any guidance on your own and hurtle yourself down it. Right? So it is an exic- like that makes it the accessibility and the... Well, the fact that it's extremely accessible makes it an extremely dangerous endeavour if you've got no previous experience. What then, in terms of exercise, can people be doing, whether they've skied or not in the past, can people be doing to prepare themselves for a skiing holiday? But how, how long out should they be thinking about this? When should they start thinking about it? Oh, well, did you say that someone that's never been before? Either or, yeah. Let, let's say it's let's say it's someone that's just got moderate skiing experience. Like let's say it's it's, it's, it's Stefan, for instance. It's been a couple of times. Um, maybe he's not trained for a while. Got a busy job. Is the avatar got a family that they're going with and so on? What sort of stuff? When should they be thinking about how to prepare for? When when should they start thinking about? It? In, a, in an ideal world, you're going to give yourself as long as possible to prepare for that. Um, but I think at, at a minimum, at a bare minimum, you could probably say it's three months, but I'd say somewhere around six months. Yeah. Um, because obviously, if you're if you're someone that has a, a busy job, probably only trains two or three times a week, but you're not probably going to be able to train enough in a short space of time to fully prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could get to a point where you feel more comfortable. I think to be truly, to feel truly ready, um, and really limit your risk of injury and hurting yourself. I think a good six months of like training with slight specificity towards preparedness for skiing, that six months would be an ample time frame. And what sort of stuff should that entail in terms of like the the actual training? So if someone's listening to this and they're in that position, they're like, oh, I'm going skiing in six months' time. Um, what should they be thinking about? What? And they're like, okay, I need to go to the gym. I don't know what to do. What should they think about? The, the first place I'd start, obviously I've never been skiing, so this is where I'd look at it, is like break down like the position you're in when you're skiing, which is obviously you're standing. There's, I guess, a slight bend to the knee, a slight bend to the hip. It's almost like a, a semi-squat type position, semi-maybe deadlift type position. 
that's where you want to start. So you obviously need lower body muscular strength and endurance, um, a good level of midline endurance, and probably uh, upper back stability as well. Um, so there's things you probably want to focus on. So lower body stability, isometric strength, uh, midline uh, isometric strength and endurance, and the same for the upper back. Um, and you've got to look at potentially different, like Stefan said, there's a lot of different planes of motion that you experience during one one ski down the hill. So you'd have to look at exposing yourself to those different uh, movement patterns, different uh, planes of motion to fully prepare for that as well. Stefan, talk us through like the, the planes of motion stuff. What sort of things are they going to be experiencing? <clears throat> uh, so initially when you're facing you know down the hill and you're just going very linear you're working in that sagittal plane so um that kind of stuff can literally be as simple as doing like will was saying you need isometric kind of strength and endurance so doing things like a a wall sit in a half squat position um you don't need to to change your pattern at all literally it's very linear very forward and backwards uh, that'd be like a really nice place to start um but then obviously, if you don't want to go 100 miles an hour and crash into a tree at the bottom, you need to be able to turn as well. <laughs> um, so when we're turning, um, we essentially, we're dropping one one leg lower than the other. We're rotating our torso um, independent of the legs as well. Um, so we're exposing ourselves to the transverse plane, um, doing things like... Um, Twist, uh, it's like half kneeling uh, plate rotations is a really, really nice way to expose yourself to that movement pattern and get that secondary effect of training the core and trunk stability as well. If you're doing like a moderate to high repetition scheme, really, really focusing on that pattern, moving the moving the hips independent of the torso. It's a really, really nice way to begin to expose yourself to those two training effects of core stability and transverse uh, transverse plane um, and then we've also got our frontal plane as well because a lot of the time if you've fallen over you need to be able to stand up and shuffle back sideways up the hill or down the hill if you're not confident in attacking that hill you have to side shuffle down that's the etiquette um, rather than putting anyone else at risk because the biggest thing is keeping everyone else around you safe like you might not have any regard for your own personal safety right, but <laughs> especially if these mountains are overpopulated a lot of the time um so it's you're responsible for your uh, for those other people around you so the etiquette is that you side shuffle down the hill so doing things like a banded crab walk for instance and then you've got that, again that secondary training effects of glute medius strength and therefore hip stability and that's going to become really crucial later on down the line to hold those fixed positions when you're going down the hill um, so working on things like that, exposing ourselves to that frontal plane of motion is going to be really, really critical to make sure that we develop that muscular endurance and that we stay safe and in control of our skis. Just those that are listening um, and probably heard a few terms in there that you might not be familiar with, when we're talking about planes of motion, transverse, we're thinking about rotational type stuff. Uh, frontal, we're thinking side to side, left to right. Um, and then sagittal, we're thinking forwards and backwards. So for those that are listening... Um, hopefully that makes a bit more sense now. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, you always see with skiers is, like, especially at the elite level, they've got massive quads and massive glutes. <laughs> How important is 
lower leg strength and endurance in like for the average skier? Oh, it's massive. Like pretty much all, well, yeah, pretty much everything you're doing go, goes through the legs. Like your contact point is your feet and therefore all the force starts at that point there. Um, so all the control is literally, <laughs> as Chubb says in Happy Gilmore, it's all in the hips. Oh, like that's literally <laughs> what controls the positions that you're going to move into and how you're going to navigate your way down the hill. Uh, chopping and changing direction, coming to a stop and initiating your ski as well. It all comes from the hips. So being able to control um, those hips on the uh, the hip hinge position, so training uh, that movement pattern, doing things like deadlifts and RDLs and the single leg variations of those as well is going to be really, really important in order to allow your hips to be strong enough and those glutes to be strong enough to change position and absorb the force. Like your glutes are essentially uh, shock absorbers and your knees when you're going down the hill. Um, especially if you're doing things like moguls, if you're more of an advanced skier where it's just like lots of bumps, you need to be able to absorb a hell of a lot of force going down there. Otherwise, you'll literally hit the bump and you'll go arse over to it and you'll do a front flip 560 degrees and land on your face and probably take out a whole queue of people waiting for a ski lift. So, um, that is definitely like, me. That would definitely be me. <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very important. Like, I'd probably say the priority for skiing is to have the strength and endurance in those muscles to be able to cope with the stress of that ski because your your slope might only be 100 meters so probably about five or six seconds going down the slope but alternatively if you're more advanced skier your run could be almost just shy of a kilometer when you're coming from the top of the mountain all the way down so to be able to hold these stressful positions like a half squat position for you know, a good five, 10 minutes is really, really tough. So to have that endurance so that your form doesn't break down, so you can remain in control of your skis and stay safe, is going to be really, really important. How long would it take to do a K like on, on ski, in skiing? So I know how long it would take to run it, but how long would it take to ski it? So it depends how fast you're going. Yeah, it depends how fast you're going. <laughs> All right, smart ass. <laughs> it depends if you're, trying to, if you're trying to control yourself and if you are turning or not. Like for, the, for, the, for the average skier, again, like someone that's just recreationally skied, they've done it a couple of times. How long, like on average, how long would it take someone to kind of do that that's like just an average ski route, I suppose? Uh, so if they are just an average skier, obviously you're going to be taking your time, you're probably going to want to be taking in a bit of the scenery as well. So it's going to be more of a cruise rather than just kind of dive bombing down the hill. Obviously, the fastest path is a straight line from A to B, but because we're serpentining and we're making like that slalom shape as we're coming down, you're actually adding a lot more time to your route because people tend to go from like right to left, like all the way across the slope rather than just kind of, you know, when you see it in the Olympics when people doing the slalom, it's just like the quickest S shape you've ever seen. They're really long, windy S shapes. So because of that, you're actually adding, you're probably doubling your distance yeah. by doing that when you're coming down the hill. So yeah, it could take anywhere from five to ten minutes, to be honest. So I think that Just, gives us it gives us an insight into like the level of endurance that you need. Like to, you have to be able to last for ten minutes, obviously, um, as a, yeah. I suppose as a minimum. So in terms of assessment, it gives us gives us some insight as to where you are and how far you are off. To say, okay, you do a wall sit. You can only hold it for 30 seconds. 
well, maybe then <clears throat> I suppose it could be a, a relatively good assessment of um, where you need to be. It's okay, you need to be able to hold a wall sit for five minutes minimum, unloaded against the wall in a quarter squat position. Um, yeah. And then you need to be able to do 20 step ups obviously, to account for maybe the change of direction stuff. But in terms of the speed, what I, the point I was kind of, I suppose, leading this towards is, you see, the faster you go, the more force you're going to have to be able to absorb. So again, we can start to break down what actually is needed. Um, and Stephanie, you talked a little bit about force absorption in of when we were uh, offline. What did you mean by that? So, because you are changing direction, um, and you're also a lot of times if you're going off piste, especially, um, there's a lot of up and down kind of dealing with little bumps throughout the snow if you're on one of the one of the groom tracks not so much of an issue um you get the occasional bit of ice where you might have to deal with and have like a little jump or whatever um and when you come into a stop you need to be able to apply apply force to the ground to create friction to stop so what i meant by force absorption is that these little again i was kind of more referencing going off piece is um, you're almost performing like little micro jumps as you're going down the hill. These little bobbles that you're dealing with, you're doing mini jumps. So force absorption is really, you need to add some kind of plyometric variation to your training in order to be able to do these mini jumping lands and not buckle um, and be able to maintain a sturdy position and absorb all of that impact. Because if you don't have the ability to absorb that impact, then you're really going to, hurt yourself and you're probably going to lose oh my god that's right uh, you're probably going to lose control of your skis pretty quickly and when you're going down at um, a potential speed of like 30 40 miles an hour that becomes a really big issue for a lot of people so yeah that's that's kind of where i was going with that it's just the ability adding plyometric training to your preparations will be a really really nice way of improving your Force absorption capability so that you can navigate this slopes effectively and maintain positions for a prolonged period of times. Again, tying in with that uh, endurance, strength and endurance training. Awesome. Yeah, we covered the, the strength part quite well. And again, I think it it just goes to load. If you want to make the most out of your health and fitness, then some form of activity, and, uh, a bit of structured uh, training in the gym with someone that knows what they're doing. It's quite important to allow you to to get the most out of that uh, session because, like you said, you don't want to be going into a um, a holiday for t- or maybe ten days of skiing. So I know the more short holidays aren't they? short breaks, and then yeah. after the first day being so sore that you can't go out for another couple of days, like it's it's it's, it's going to be a waste of money. Like you're not going to enjoy it as much. You're not going to get out get out of it what you wanted so i think some sort of structured training with someone that knows what they're doing um, could be very beneficial and help you enjoy it a bit a little bit more um, so we talked a little bit about strength stuff what about the um, aerobic and cardiorespiratory side of things where where do you where do you see that going or how so, do you structure that again like tying in with the the muscular endurance they kind of go hand in hand so your heart and lungs need to be able to bring in as much oxygen as possible to satisfy those muscles, those working muscles, with enough oxygen to keep working without the production of uh, lactate and hydrogen ions. So 
we need to stay on the aerobic side so that we can complete these runs without experiencing that burning sensation. You probably will get it towards the end just because your body uh, will fatigue, but we want to prolong that for as long as possible while navigating those slopes. We don't want to have that burning sensation right at the start of a potential kilometre run because you're just not going to enjoy it. You're going to have to keep stopping. You're not going to have any flow to it and you're just going to get fed up very quickly. So um, the cardio-respiratory training really slots into that nicely. Um, we need to be kind of doing long, sustainable, steady-state type monostructural work in order to train our, our lungs and yeah, sorry, our lungs and lung muscles to escort that oxygen as effectively as possible to the working muscles and obviously then extracts those metabolites and stuff back out of the working muscles so we stay fresh. Um, yeah, I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> I'll save you. Um, I've got what I was going to say now. <laughs> uh, it's, so how long... On average, would it be fair to say that someone is going to be skiing like, on their feet for around about maybe three and a half, four hours a day? Yeah. Um, often people break into morning and total, afternoon yeah. Okay. So would, would that, what, maybe two, three hours in the morning, two, three hours in the afternoon, like breaking a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Like some people will be on the mountain for 7 a.m. then break at midday for, for lunch. So potentially five hours of skiing in the morning and then potentially another four or five hours in the afternoon, depending on how you feel. Uh, and again, it really depends on how far you trek around the mountain as well. Like if you go to the, the furthest side, obviously it takes you longer to get back. Um, but again, it comes down to your energy levels, how you're feeling on the day and the group you're with, your ability level, all these, all of these factors play a big part of it. Um, so yeah, potentially you could be looking at eight hours of skiing a day. Um, which is uh, a long, a long amount of time to be exercising for. Exactly. So again, it gives you an insight into the sort of training that you need to be doing. So, firstly, have you ever spent eight? Uh, the question you need to ask yourself is: Have you ever spent like six to eight hours on your feet in a day? If you haven't, then that's probably where you need to start. Uh, just being on your feet for that long is going to be tough. So, you don't need to be going in and smashing high intensity exercise. Yes, that will help in the short term if you haven't got much time, but if you want to do it properly and you want to get a bit more out of it, you want to make the benefits of your training last a little bit further than just the skiing holiday, which I would suggest is a better option, then just asking yourself the question, okay, how long do I need to be on my feet? Cool, eight hours. Right, I'm going to, I'm going to walk for an hour a day or, or accumulate an hour of uh, walking per day and over time try and increase that a little bit if you obviously have the time. And then that coupled with your... Uh, strength work is going to is going to lead to you being a bit more filled potentially out of your uh, session and not having to like I said after the first day being absolutely screwed over because you've got the doms that's already set in and you're mm -hmm. knackered maybe because you haven't eaten enough that day which I'd imagine is the case you're probably drinking a lot more than usual which which I've heard is the is the, is the common uh, part of it that's that, that Actually, that's, that's what I hear most of, is that people just spend most of their time drinking, apparently. <laughs> so in terms of monostructural activity, so cyclical stuff that you can do for a long time, like would, I would recommend walking. Um, so you turn yeah. that into light jogging, obviously, depending on your fitness levels, to train that cardiorespiratory system. What about you, Will? What would you, or have you prescribed in the past? Um, so 
I don't think you spoke about it yet. Obviously, like monostructural activity would be important, uh, doing the same thing that the sick go over and over and over again. Um, but obviously, a, a, in my opinion, a good way to, to train someone aerobically to ski would obviously be mixed modal work. So they have to maintain their level of contraction um, under fatigue. Um, so getting them to practice that in their training. So, they, I don't know, they could go for a 2,000-meter row, and then they could be doing some of their isometric work, a little bit of their lower body uh, strength work. Because if they can't perform that movement well under a little bit of fatigue, then like, they're probably going to hurt themselves. Yeah. So doing a little bit of mixed modal work where they're building maybe some of these isometric uh, movement patterns, um, under a little bit of fatigue, they can obviously, in their metabolite clearance and things, will improve their ability to oxygenate the muscles for those uh, contractions. Sustainable will improve as well. Um, so as well as obviously hitting those long sessions of just monostructural work, um, doing in mixed modal aerobic condition would be really important as well. Yeah, I like the um, the mixed modal idea, but. So what people what we mean by that again for those that don't know what that means is you're like, it's like a circuit a few different exercises and you do them for a period of time for a period of reps of each one would be an easy way to do it and that might look like something you do twenty minutes of squats press ups and pull ups five reps of each and you just keep going for twenty minutes that would be a classic example of a mixed modal workout I I like to give this to sort of people that are um, this sort of training to people that are on similar endeavours, but again for skiing specifically, for longer periods of time. So it's actually an aerobic activity, and you're not developing the um, the negative byproducts of uh, fuel usage, i.e., what most people call lactic acid. Again, that's not necessarily a problem, but um, we'll use that term because most people know it. <laughs> uh, so. It would be something like we're going to row for 60 minutes and then every five minutes you're going to get off and you're going to do five squats and 10 push-ups and then five pull-ups. Something like that. And then you're going to repeat that just over and over again, at a really easy pace for, um, for 60 minutes. And the rowing is going to force you to go pretty slow because you can't row hard for 60 minutes. Not many people can anyway. It's going to help develop the cardiovascular part of it. And then the, uh, the sh essentially strength work put in there is going to help uh, try and turn that into aerobic anaerobic activity because that's essentially what you want to be doing or what you're going to have to do when you go skiing. You want to do strength activities in an aerobic setting. Um, and you don't want to be fatiguing to a point where you just can't create force and you can't uh, express force either. Otherwise, you ain't going to be ro uh, skiing for long. Um, and you are going to be spending most of the time in the bar. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you would do for uh, the aerobic stuff? I think that's actually quite simple, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, I think it's critical as well because um, a lot of people don't think that they are, like what they underestimate again is that they're actually at altitude. So the presence of oxygen is less than what it is on your in your day-to-day -day life. So your your body is going to struggle to regulate its its functions and maintain homeostasis. There's going to be an adjustment period. So making your muscles as uh, your respiratory muscles and your your working muscles as strong and durable as possible to make them more efficient in 
oxygen transfer is going to be really, really important. So that aerobic work is what exactly what that does. It strengthens and makes those muscles more durable and thus more efficient, enabling oxygen transfer to be more effective. So when there's less oxygen, you're able to extract more of it uh, from when it's available compared to uh, being at being at sea level as we are most days. So yeah, I think that's probably the the most critical part. And then the rest of the stuff can slot in, like we all said, you can do that as part of your aerobic work in a mixed modal setting for a lot of people. Um, and then obviously you can do on separate days, you can do your strength work. So I'll probably say that is the most important part. Yeah. The question is that I think the research into, I don't know if it applies to downhill skiers, but I know for sure that cross country skiers have some of the like biggest BO2 maxes out of all like uh, elite athletes. Um, I imagine downhill skiing requires a high level too. I mean, so it's so important that the Olympic athletes have the highest recorded of most athletes. Probably a good idea to work on some aerobic activity yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, can, we can draw a lot of um, information from elite sport that can disseminate down. Um, but in terms of the actual application of how they train, isn't always the way, isn't always uh, necessary. Like you don't need to be squatting 200 kilos to go and enjoy your... Uh, enjoy your skiing holiday. <laughs> uh, if they're super aerobic, probably yeah, should practice that a exactly. little bit. But you do need some semblance of aerobic endurance and some semblance of leg strength, both single, lat single leg and bilateral, or uh, both legs. Some semblance of upper body stability, core stability, some isometric capabilities, um, force absorption capabilities, agility capabilities, and hip hinging capabilities. Then just spatial awareness, coordination, balance, that sort of thing, the nervous system stuff. Um, like that, that all applies to the, the client, but the application of it and how we get you there is, uh, is going to be very different. It's going to be very individualized to you. You might find through assessment that actually you're super strong with your legs already. It's your upper body that's, that's weak um, in comparison, or that you've got no aerobic capability or you sit down for 10 hours a day at work and you spend the only time you spend on your feet is the walk to and from the bus from work to or from home to the bus from the bus to work and that's it and that's all the only time you spend on your feet so um individualization is that a word yeah yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, is absolutely key in terms of uh, allowing you to be fulfilled out of your holiday to prevent injuries, um, and yeah, I suppose that's it. The two, the two main things. Now you to stay healthy, uh, and the, what I think the one bit we did miss is bicep curls, because you need a strong drinking arm. That is that is the biggest thing. That's all people talk about. Is, is apres ski? That's what it's called in it. Um, mm -hmm. When friends come off skiing holidays, oh yeah, we went to this bar and up halfway up the mountain, and they've got jacuzzis and like two pint glasses. You're like, okay, what about the skiing? Nah, <laughs> that was that was just most of the day. The bar was the best bit. Great food. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, so strong drinking arms. That's the way forward. It's all you need to do: bicep curls. <laughs> that's all people are going to take away from this now. You just need strong biceps. Um. Cool, I think we've done that to death there. We've got a good bit of info out there, nice short and sharp. Um, any final points? No, not really. No. Just, um, yeah, stay safe, taking the scenes and 
enjoy the app right. Exactly. Um, and if you don't Instagram it, you've never been. This <laughs> is false. It's not a it's not a real holiday if you don't Instagram it. Um, but if you do want, if you you are listening to this and this is ringing a bell and uh, you do want some help preparing for your skiing holiday and further on in your health and whatnot, then contact us, uh, info at base.training, and we can um, get you set up with a discovery call, then a consultation, and then get you started, if that is what we decide. Uh, if you'd like something that one of us has specifically said, you can head on to a website, go onto the Get Started page, click on our pictures, and that will bring you up with each coach's individual booking link. Alternatively, you can email us individually, lee at base.training, will at base.training, or stefan at base.training, and we can get back to you with some information. Until then, uh, we shall say peace out and enjoy your holiday. Peace.